theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Hey, Dr. Amy. Hello, Dr. Joy. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am really excited, but I will have to admit, and I think you are probably suffering from it too, a little eye strain from yes. the computer. Mm -hmm. Seven meetings today. So I am definitely suffering from the screen time so much to where I don't use my ring light anymore because it's really causing strain on my eyes and having headaches. Well, I actually had an email from a student who expressed how many hours was being involved in schoolwork and employment and catching up on schoolwork so much so that there was eye strain and, and migraines. And I know we might not be actually focusing this conversation today on the harmful effects of screen time, but I do want to talk to our guests about some possible ways to mitigate some of those, well, the cost of using technology in the classroom. Right. Because we've been talking about using technology, integrating it in education, using it in ways that we've never used it before for online teaching. And then we have the opposite, right? <laughs> so we exactly. talk about these wonderful benefits and how we were able to pivot using technology. But then we talk about, well, what's too much? What's too much technology? And now today we're going to learn something that's really out of my scope when we talk about robotics in education. And robotics have long been in the medical field. I mean, we used to see robotics in cars and how they test drive cars and accidents and things like that. So you saw it in the car industry and in the medical industry. Now we see it in the education industry, bringing lots of people access to education. So this is not something that I am very familiar with. So I'm happy to talk about this subject today. Dr. Amin Davudi is an assistant professor of bilingual and ESL education in the Department of Language, Literacy, and Special Populations. He is ethnically Kurdish from Kermanshah, Iran, and he came to the U.S. to do his PhD in 2016. He received his PhD in ESL technology and teacher education curriculum and instruction from Texas A&M University in 2021. His areas of research interests are educational equity for English language learners and homebound students, robot-assisted learning, 
and bilingual education. So in 2021, he became the first student from the College of Education and Human Development at Texas A&M University to win the three-minute thesis dissertation competition. So this is really exciting. He received the Judges Award and the People's Choice Award and later represented Texas A&M in the Regional 3MT competition at the Conference of Southern Graduate Schools, where he won the People's Choice Award there. His presentation focused on how robots can be used to improve educational equity and access for homebound students. This is a topic we have not explored yet. I'm so pleased to present to you today, Dr. Davuti. Hello, good to be with you. Hello, Dr. Davuti. I feel so privileged to be with you today. I'm so happy to talk to you, Dr. Amy, Dr. Joy, both of you. It's an honor for me. Thanks for having me. Hey, so we're going to start off with some questions. And I just want to talk about you for a little bit because you have such a wide range in your career, you know, from English as a second language to robotics. But all of it is about having access to learning. So can you talk about your passion for ESL and your passion for robotics and how the two intersect? Yeah, thank you for the question. I grew up uh, in the west part of Iran in a town called Kermanshah, so I'm ethnically Kurdish. And you know, in Iran, there's only one official language, meaning that kids unfortunately cannot go to school to receive education in their heritage language. So since I was a kid, I was kind of involved in this debate, whether we need to learn different languages or not, how important language learning is. And something else which is exciting is I come from a family in which no one speaks English, even today in 2021, but my dad speaks three different languages, for example. He speaks Kurdish, he speaks Persian, and he speaks Turkish as well. And he doesn't even know that it is something big, you know, it's, it's an achievement. So in that area that I grew up, there are lots of bilingual, multilingual people. It's a multicultural town. So I guess that was, that's probably the main reason that I became interested in learning about languages and how these different languages can help people to connect to one another and connect cultures. But later when I grew up and I went to college and studying English language and literature during my undergrad and then my master's applied linguistics or known as TESOL as well, teaching English to speakers of other languages, I learned how important it is to help people from underprivileged communities to learn different languages in general, in English in particular, so that they can have better opportunities in their life. So all my research, I've always been trying to focus on how I can improve learning and teaching, but more specifically, I'm focusing on how we can, uh, you know, increase access to quality education. And it was some years ago that I learned about different types of robots. And most of the articles that I was reading, they were published in psychology journals or engineering. And I was like, it seems that we are behind. We mm -hmm. educators, our field is kind of behind. So I started learning more about these robots. And I figured out that there are several different types of them. I'm sure we may talk about these different types in, in this talk. But then I learned that we have some populations within the education system that can definitely benefit from all these different robots. So that's how we just started. I always wanted to use new technologies like robots to improve learning and teaching more specifically, as I said, focusing on increasing access. So it brought me to the world of 
distance education with homebound students, those who cannot go to school for several different reasons, including uh, unfortunately suffering from chronic illnesses like cancer. And also at the same time, I'm always interested in language learning. So I've been trying to see how these robots can help language learners as well from different parts of the world. All right, let's go into some of this how. In several episodes, and we know that the remote teaching and learning had to spin on a dime, really, and we incorporated Zoom and various platforms for conferencing and for engagement with students, maybe Google Classroom and so on. But robots, tell me about that aspect of uh, remote teaching and learning. Thank you for the question. When I started working on my robot-assisted project, it was before COVID. So it was in the summer of 2019, and then later I started collecting the data in the fall of 2019. So at that time, distance education, online learning, we had it, but it wasn't, people just, I would say they didn't care that much about it. Then suddenly COVID hit, and we know what happened. The world of education has changed, I think forever. But The reason that I wanted to integrate robots into learning is they're really, really fun. And that's very important. They can make learning really interesting. And more important than that, I'm a fan of high flex classes, having some students in class, some are not. So they are kind of distant learners, whatever we want to call them in that platform. So some of the students are in the class, some cannot join the classes. And this doesn't mean that I'm against fully online classes. No, that's another story. But what I'm saying is that because of the fact that we are human beings, you know, we need interactions and communications and stuff. So I'm more interested in having some students in class and those who cannot attend the class in person to to join virtually. So I thought it would be really interesting to see how we can put a robot instead of a person in the class to see if he or she would feel present. Because for me, the biggest challenge that these online classes and distance education classes have is the lack of sense of presence, which is driving people crazy during the pandemic. We have all heard about this Zoom fatigue, yeah? People are just tired of having all these online meetings. And one of the main reasons, lots of research in psychology backed this up, there is no sense of presence when it comes to video conferencing tools like Zoom and Skype. Now, what do I mean by that? Imagine that you're in a classroom, it's a virtual class, you're using Zoom and you see 20 other students and the professors on your screen, everyone is in front of you. So turn to your left, to your right, look up, you see your room, yeah? You don't feel that you're there, you're not present. And so what's wrong with it? The issue is after some time you get tired. So being tired and bored in online classes the major part of it comes from that lack of sense of presence. However, when you have some students in the class and others are attending using robots and the robots are in the classroom, everyone feels present because the remote user using the type of robot that I'm using, they're called telepresence robots. They're able to remotely control the robot, meaning that they can turn right, turn left, walk, go forward, backward, look up, look down. So it, they, it, it gives them an opportunity to be in the classroom having like a 360 degree angle, whatever. So th- that's the biggest difference that the robot assisted learning has in in my opinion when it comes to feeling present in the in the classroom. So this is wonderful. So these robots have been able to give students who otherwise wouldn't be able to go into the classroom, such as someone with an autoimmune deficiency during COVID. Right. 
So I'm getting kind of a picture and hoping that you can paint a better picture for me. And physically, what are we looking at when we're looking at this robot? So I understand from the student who is at home, the learner who is at home, now they're able to get this 360 view of what's going on in the classroom, which is wonderful, instead of just a screen. Like you, like you, I love doing the Hyperflex classroom. And actually, I started doing it a few years ago when students were home with the flu. I didn't want them coming into my classroom. So I said, while I'm in class, we'll put you on Zoom. So this is something that we've been accustomed to. But again, it's flat, right? And so I get it from that learner's perspective. But also talk about, I'm the person in the classroom, and there's this robot next to me. What is that whole experience like for the people who are actually in the classroom? Who, I mean, do I take the robot to lunch with me or what? Yeah, that's a great question, Dr. Joy. I think I should give you an example from my own robot-assisted learning project to provide a better picture of what happens when we are using these robots. First of all, we have several different types of robots. We have humanoid robots. We have toy-like robots. We have robotic heads, we have face and belly robots. This type of robot that I specifically use in this research project in 2019, it is called a telepresence robot. A telepresence robot usually has a screen. Sometimes the screen is it's just a tablet or an, or an iPhone that you put on it. And it has an app. So the app is like any other video conferencing app like Zoom or FaceTime or Skype. However, the difference is that the remote user using that app can control the robot in the class. So what happens to the people who are in the classroom? That was your question. And that was my, my main concern. I wanted to know that if by providing this opportunity for those who cannot attend classroom, we are kind of negatively affecting other people's learning or not, or the teaching. So it's very interesting. In that case, the students who wasn't able to attend her classes was a senior student at a tier one research university. And she was a brilliant student, a very good student, English major. Unfortunately, she was diagnosed with cancer. So I'm talking about fall of 2019, and she was supposed to graduate in May of 2020. Everyone in the class knew her, and everyone loved her. And they were so happy that I started that project because they, later they told me that they felt that they were kind of contributing to her, her recovery. So they didn't, they didn't look at that robot as a stranger. It was their friend because they were able to see her face and they were able to communicate with her. It was just the face was her, the rest wasn't. So that was the only difference. And they told me that it took them like two sessions to get used to it. And after that, I, I did lots of interviews you know, with the students and the, and the professors. And they told me that they didn't even notice that she was attending the class, participating in our discussion in another way using a robot. So that was very interesting to see how it helped them to feel that they're helping someone in their community. So tell us about your motivation. What drives you to explore new technologies for instruction? You, you know, Dr. Amy, I became a teacher at a very young age. I was about 18, 19. And don't ask me why <laughs> that, that that's another story. We may need another podcast session for that. But I've had lots of teaching experience. And in, during my career, I've had several different students, brilliant students, hardworking students who unfortunately had to drop school. You know, They were not able to attend classes for several different reasons. But one of the major reasons was just 
being ill, chronic illnesses, something that prevents you from going to school. So I always had it in mind that how I can help help those students. And to be honest, I think part of it comes um, from my passion and my interest for just helping minorities. And in a way, these students, homebound students, I consider them as minority in our field, unfortunately. Not a lot of research projects have been done to help these homebound students who cannot attend school. So I always had it in mind that what happens to these brilliant students when they cannot go to school. So I always wanted to help them in a way. When I learned about robots and how they can help us to increase and improve access to education, I, I was like, why not? Let's give it a try and see if it works or not. Because honestly, these robots, most of them weren't designed to be used for educational purposes, which is so sad. But at the same time, it shows that we are really behind, we educators, so when it comes to technology and everything. So for example, these telepresence robots, they were initially designed and produced to help CEOs of large corporations who have different companies in, in the world, but they, they would like to go and be there virtually, and they would like to walk while they are in another continent, let's say. And also this particular one was used by international chefs who wanted to walk in into their kitchens in other countries in the world and to see if people are doing their job or not. So I was like, if chefs and CEOs can benefit from a robot like this, why not? We educators can do that. All right, this is FaceTime multiplied, isn't it? It's <laughs> like when you walk around and I do that quite often in the store, showing people, is this what you're referring to? So, I mean, it's just FaceTime magnified. We are talking to Dr. Amin Davuti, Assistant Professor of Bilingual and ESL Education. And we're talking about robotics and how robotics have brought access to education. So I want to talk about it maybe on a larger scale, because I know now that we experienced this pandemic, you've been thinking about how do we bring this to scale? Now you have an entire classroom of children without that access, 360 access, and the screen is flat. Many schools didn't require that the students even show their face on the screen. That was difficult. So I think that was the most difficult thing for me personally to teach a college course and not be able to see all the faces. That was tough for me. So I can imagine if you're an elementary school teacher or a high school teacher, that's even tougher. So now that we've gone through this pandemic, what are your ideas about how we can bring some of this technology to scale? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. And by the way, it was difficult for me too to teach classes during the pandemic while many of the students didn't want to I don't know, turn on their cameras for any reason, or they thought that it's not necessary. But in my opinion, if that is the only way that we are able to see our students and communicate with them, I mean, using these video conferencing tools, I highly recommend everyone to just turn on their cameras. It's very important. At least we can see each other. Dr. Joy, I would like to talk about another study because I think that would give us a better picture of what other things we can do, we can do oh, with robots. Sure, sure. It was a very similar study uh, with the same robot, but not with a college student, with a fourth grader who wasn't able to go to school for a whole year, for the whole year, because she was diagnosed with cancer again. And in that case, the robot was even more efficient. Why? Because a fourth grader would like to have her lunch with her friends. So she was able to virtually walk the robot and go to the lunchroom 
virtually sit next, you know, next to her friends and start enjoying her lunch while she was home, while she was in the hospital being treated for cancer. So it provides several different opportunities. It depends on the age group and for what purposes we are using these robots. And to go back to your question, talking about the pandemic and all these students who cannot or who do not like to come to class because they don't feel safe. That's something else as well. Sometimes they can, but they don't want to come. You know, They don't feel safe for several different health-related issues. And we get that. So when it comes to this, first of all, the most important question that we as educators need to, need to respond is how important it is for us to have them in our class. Because you know, I've talked with some of our colleagues, professors who teach in engineering or science, and they told me that even before the pandemic, going to their classes was something optional because all the classes are recorded and they are, there are like 400, 500 students in the class. So they don't necessarily need to be there. So if you're talking about a class like that, that was okay even before the pandemic, and didn't require students. So why should we bother about that? It's kind of interesting and it makes me sad. People are judging online education and distance education with the experience of the pandemic. That's not fair because when we talk about the efficiency of online education, distance education, we should assess that in a normal time. You know what I mean? So we assess traditional methods in normal time but we assess and we evaluate distance education and online learning during the pandemic, which was something that all of a sudden happened and we, none of us knew anything about it. Yeah. So the, the aim, the, the goal of that class is very important. If it is a discussion-based class, like the college class that I was talking about, if we are, we are thinking about helping fourth grader, third grader, elementary students, and we have some who go to class, some who cannot, obviously we can replace each one of those students with a robot. But again, it depends on several different other factors. But it's also very interesting, Dr. Joy, that sometimes teachers aren't able to go to their classes these days. Yes, yes. <laughs> you get that, yeah? Yes, and I like to see that in reverse. I want to just go back to something that you said, which is very true. And people equate what occurred during the pandemic, that online education, as online education prior to that. Well, no, that was remote education. And remote education and online education are totally different things. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of preparation to prepare for an online class that can do all the things that we're trying to do in a present classroom. Remote education, that was just something we, we pivoted to, to give people access to education. The two are not synonymous. And those who have not had the opportunity to teach online have a false sense of that the two are the same. So I, I agree with you there. And we're talking about this robot. I'd love to see that in reverse where the teacher is not in class, that the teacher could have an autoimmune deficiency or a reason that they need to stay at home. And yet they're, they're well enough to teach. You know, wouldn't you want to be in your classroom, Dr. Amy, if you were at home and you felt good enough to teach? That would be amazing. I think that would be interesting. And it would have been really helpful to have a robot last night in my literature <laughs> class because I did the high flex type of situation in which a student was 
on Zoom. We had the camera. You could see the classroom. I'm sharing the screen. I've got another computer and it's in a small group doing a small group activity. So it's possible to have that combined experience, but it's, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of work to do that. And, you know, are we ready and are we willing? But, you know, it's not, I don't even think it's a matter of whether we're willing anymore. I think we must. You brought, I mean, I'm emotional about the story with the fourth grader who could sit and have lunch with friends. And, you know, I I can be very stoic. I don't often get emotional, but that really did do something to me. So I'm wondering, how can we continue research that pushes the edges of teaching and learning? Thank you so much, Dr. Amy, for sharing your ideas. To build upon what Dr. Amy said, I would like to add that some research studies have shown that the number one concern that students like younger kids who are fighting cancer have is what happens to their education. So you may think about, okay, it's about uh, probably the cost of drugs, you know, what their families need to go, go through, or is fear of death, anxiety. Many of them, they said they're worried about their education. So it tells us how important it is to be more inclusive. And being inclusive in in education is not just about talking about different cultures and races. We can talk about the students who are not healthy enough, who are ill, and they cannot attend their classes. So we should be inclusive and try to provide opportunities for them so that they can continue their education while they are being treated, for example, for cancer or any other chronic illnesses. So one of the things that I think is very important, and these days I talk about it a lot in conferences and, you know, during several different invited talks and stuff, is it is important for us as educators to just focus on the social impact of our research. I am sick and tired of going to conferences, listening to people, great scholars in different fields, presenting their research, which is only interesting for other researchers so that they can go and cite them. That shouldn't be the main goal of research. Uh, The result of our research project, we should be able to see that in the society. There should be a connection between the research projects and and what happens to, to, to the general public. If there is no link and we are just doing research for research, which is totally fine, that's another area, but we also need, especially in education, We also need more more research with some practical, I don't know, guidelines, outcomes, whatever, that can be used in schools or even at home. Talk a lot about uh, home literacy these days because of the pandemic and everything. How many of the research projects that educators conduct over years in the U.S., for example, how many of them can, can be used and applied by parents? are not educators can they go and read the results section or the or whatever procedure section and start doing something that can benefit their kids so i think it is time for us as educators and researchers to focus more on the social impact of our research and not to be worried about the impact factor of the journal that's just a number absolutely you bring up some really good points are we being practical in our applications are we making connections and really putting our children first and the future of what they experience in schools regarding education. I want to ask more about what you've investigated. What about the transition for teachers and students and parents 
post-pandemic, we have a new normal now. Yes, yeah. I hope we have a new normal. <laughs> so what do you think about the transition? What do we need to be thinking about in terms of what we're transitioning to? Mm-hmm. That's a very good question. I think one of the lessons that hopefully we all have learned from the pandemic is that we educators, teachers, we cannot do this alone. We need some help from parents and we need some help from these students. For many years, people have thought that the job of teaching and learning, it's all about the teacher. Teacher is in charge of teaching everything. And if a student fails, that's the teacher's fault and everything like that. However, during the pandemic, we learned that learning is a complex process. So we can have several different groups of people who can contribute to a student learning. So hopefully we have learned that And what I would like to see post-pandemic, hopefully teachers and schools, and obviously, you know, people who are in charge of making big decisions, they would transfer and they would give some of the responsibilities of teachers to both the students and their caretakers. We cannot always say parents because not every child these days, fortunately, not everyone is living with their parents. So let's say caregivers, Mm -hmm. okay? So that's very important. I would like to see the involvement of caregivers in the education. And I would also like to see that some aspects of learning would occur outside of the classroom through projects that students as individuals can do, obviously under the supervision of the teacher and the, and the caregivers. So hopefully we have all learned this lesson that we need other people to help us and we would get way better results if we have all these other people involved in the process of learning. Do you see the use of robotics as part of an accommodation plan, a 504 plan? And if administrators and teachers and parents are interested in using this kind of tool, what, what do they do? What are their next steps? Yeah, that's a very good question. There are two things that we should take into account when we are talking about integrating robots into education. The first is robots like the one that I use, telepresence robots. We have some students who cannot go to classes, others are there, so we need to provide an opportunity for those distant learners to be there, to feel that they are present in their classes. So if that is the case, then we need the school districts to get involved in this process. And based on my research, this is good news. Each school district obviously depends on the size of the school district, but generally speaking, talking about the average number, They may need five or six of these robots per school year because there are only five or six students who cannot attend school in person and they need such a thing. And some of them need it for a short period of time. And the good thing is that it can be used next time for another person. It's not a a spending money. It's just like an investment. And they need to buy these robots only once. And talking about four, five, six robots, they may be able to get them for less than $3,000, all the five or six different robots I'm talking about. So it's not that expensive. So as educators, we have all been working with with the schools and sometimes we see how they spend their money making not wise decisions. They don't have too much money, we should be fair, but at times they don't even manage what they have really well. So that's one part of it. Another part, because I also did some research studies on robots that can be used at home for home literacy. That brings, again, parents and caregivers into account and they need to play a role. So you're going to get a toy for your 
kid, for a family member, I don't know, for your grandchild, you're going to spend some money. Why don't you go and get a toy-like robot, which kids may think of them just as toys. However, these are not real toys. They are educational robots, which can teach them lots of different stuff. Now we have toy-like robots, which can teach STEM skills, science, math, technology. We have robots that are able to teach reading. I worked on a research project in which I tried to help some immigrants who unfortunately didn't have the chance to practice their heritage language in the U.S. to learn their heritage language and English at the same time using a reading robot. So the reading robot would read books in any, in any languages. And that's very interesting. Kids don't even know that that's a robot because it looks like a, like a toy. So they think that it is, it's just a toy that they are playing with it. And we all know how important indirect learning or peripheral learning is. Kids love to learn when they are not aware that they are learning. Kind of, we are talking about acquisition, learning naturally. And that's also very interesting. So we have, as I said, we have two different sides, two different groups of people. One side, we have educators, school leaders who can invest and buy those kind of robots. On the other hand, we also have parents, caregivers, they can invest and buy other types of robots that can be used at home for home literacy, for example, which is very important these days. Right. Very good point. And I'm glad that you mentioned the cost. I was almost afraid to ask you about the cost, but it seems like something that's very doable, especially when it's giving access to education. So thank you for that. And also talking about the other types of robots that bring education to us. So thank you so much for adding that. Thank you, Dr. Joy. Yeah, I thought it's important to talk about the other types of robots that can be used easily by kids at home. And parents yeah. would be able to control their activity using an app, which is the parental control app. So they can even send messages to the robot and the robot would say that in a beautiful toy-like uh, voice to the kid. So the kid doesn't know that this is something that mom is asking. For example, go and brush your teeth so that I can play you a song. You know? Yeah, where were you when I was raising my children? We are going to share with our listeners the link where you were featured on a news station sharing information about the robot, but also we want to share information. We'll add that link about your other little robot buddy to give uh -huh. them the example of the different types of robots and how they bring access in different ways to children. Sure. I don't know if this addresses what Joy and I have been experiencing the last few days as far as eye strain and uh, Zoom fatigue. I think you even mentioned Zoom fatigue. But that interaction with the robot and having that 360 experience in the classroom has to be better than just the flatness of a screen. And I know we are still staring at pixels on a monitor, but perhaps we'll make it even more advances to help mitigate some of the health issues that we're experiencing due to staring at a screen. Yeah, thank you. That's a great point. Sometimes people, when they ask me about these robots and they say, oh, okay. So, but in comparison to our real life interaction, I'm like, are you serious? Why are you comparing the robot to real life interaction? Obviously nothing is going to be as good as, you know, human beings sitting next to one another and talk. 
why don't you compare it to other types of online learning and distance education? It's like having your teenage girl trying to cook something for you. And then you start trying to say that, for example, oh, it's not as good as the one that we had in that five-star hotel. So that's not fair. So you need to, you need, we need to be fair when it comes to evaluating all these technological devices. And I think robots can definitely help us and they do a way better job than these video conferencing tools. Don't get me wrong. These video conferencing tools, they saved the education system during the pandemic. However, that doesn't mean that we should be loyal forever to them because we have better options now. So we need to invest and see how we can provide better distance learning opportunities for our students. Wow, you have given us so much to think about. And I really look forward to doing some more investigation myself and seeing the research studies that you are doing. And I know you are going to be on the cutting edge of some educational technology in the near future. So I'm going to be following what you're yes, doing. Yes, and we'll be able to say, we know Dr. Davuti. <laughs> He's a friend of ours. <laughs> yeah, I will be back on your podcast. Why not? Absolutely. We are really looking forward to what comes next. Please stay in touch and we'll add those links so that our viewers can get to know you and your work a little bit better. Sure. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. You have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy. And Dr. Joy.